I moved back in uh, October of last year, and every time I move, I lose a certain portion of, you know, this last time I think the CDs finally went. Right. Books have stayed. I think, you know, especially the comics, I think will stay for a while. But every single time, you know, you end up losing losing a little little bit of something because it's just media is a nightmare to move. Yeah, yeah we lose a we lose a, a technology each each time. Yeah, it's like okay, this is no this is obsolete now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you know it's the question of what do I need to what do I what do I feel the need to stare at and and mm. and, and who do I need to impress when they come over to my apartment? <laughs> too old for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that's 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 fair. Um, it's more about how much it irritates the rest of the family now. Yeah. Well, are you how 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 precious are you about the the, the, the kids in the comics? My kids just are not interested in comics. <laughs> they completely. I mean, you know, they've read Bone and Tintin and Asterix yeah. and and they've read mine, but they it's just not a thing they're into. How old are they? Twenty and seventeen. Wow. So they're if it, it's if too it late hasn't now. happened yet, it's, it's too late now. That's. That's a little. I got to admit that that's a little depressing to it's, me. I f- again, I f- you know at first I was a little sad about it, but actually now it's um, it's somehow kind of liberating. Hmm. I don't know, knowing they won't struggle through having to become comics writers in their own lives. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that they might actually make money doing what yeah. they want to do. But also, it helps put my own relationship with comics in perspective. How's that? Well, it, it's just a reminder that. It, it's not that important. Yeah. You know, all the things we create and produce, they're all going to be dust one day anyway. So, you know, that's how it is. And it's, it's, it's worth just, um, getting used to that. There's something, there's something, I mean, the whole universe will cease to exist one day. I guess that's liberating. Um, but maybe something, and and this, this actually does, uh, I think play into your most recent book a little bit is, um, so we've started now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. This is how we do it. There's something... What have I just been saying? <laughs> <laughs> Horrible things about your children. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the... You know, the, the I, I guess I guess sort of the, the idea that it doesn't matter takes the pressure... Maybe potentially takes the pressure off of creating. Because, you know, certainly writer's block plays a pretty... I mean, Anadonia, I, I do want to mm. talk about that a little bit later. But just, just sort of the idea of... of writer's block and to me the most difficult thing about creating has never been the creation process but um you know the idea that you want to make something perfect right which is crippling yeah yeah i i mean i think like magic pen is in fact a lot of my work is about the relationship we have with art and stories and both as people making them and also as people that are obsessed with reading them and who love them you know Mm -hmm. And uh, and some things about that are absolutely beautiful, and other parts are just horrible. You know, I mean, Hicksville opens with Jack Kirby saying, "Comics will break your heart." Yeah. And um, when I did that book, I didn't even realize, you know, how much that could be true. <laughs> I was young, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think I think the relationship we have with art can be um, it can become a burden. And it can, we be, we can become so twisted up about it, and uh, and there's something very powerful about being able to accept walking away from it. Mm-hmm. So being able to accept silence, you know, like the the like the 
my latest book is Sam Zabel and the Magic Pen, but I have another book coming out in October from Alternative Comics, which is called Incomplete Works. And that's a, that's a selection of my short comics work from over the last 30 years or so. And when I was compiling that, I, I started to realize that there were certain images and ideas that I just kept going back to again and again. And one of them was the blank page, mm-hmm. uh, and another was silence. And Those are in, uh, very parallel images. Exactly, yeah. It's like visual silence yeah. and, and, and audible silence. And the, I don't know that I really understood why I was um, drawn back to those images again and again, but, but by the time I finished Magic Pen, I had more of a sense that it's to do with... It's partly to do with um, the absence of art and sometimes that's a terrible thing. Mm. If silence is forced on you, then it's a terrible, terrible thing. But we can also sometimes choose silence. Mm-hmm. Um, Arvo Peart is one of my favorite composers, who's an Estonian composer. Mm. And every few years, you know, there was a long period where he just he just stopped composing. Or rather, he said at one point that he was composing silence. Um, he was choosing to not make a sound. And then when he, f- and then after some time of that, it was a few years. He suddenly started writing music again, and it was extraordinary music, but it was full of silence. You know, hmm. even even when there was noise, the silence was kind of there. And it's like, uh, you know, I think as artists, sometimes you you need to um, you need to put your pen down, yeah, and just see what happens. The the gutter plays a, an interesting role in the book. The, the 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 literal white spaces between the panels was that was that. I mean, it, it, at what point was it clear that you wanted that to be a to 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 actually serve a purpose in the in the narrative of the book? Well, I guess I, I mean I've always been interested in. Um, Certainly, since Scott McLeod's understanding comics, because <laughs> um, the way Scott talks about he talks about the gutter as being the space in which the reader does a whole lot of work that brings the comic yeah. to life, you know. Yeah. So, and his thing is is about performing closure, so closing the gap between the panels hmm. by filling it with our own kind of um, readerly creativity, yeah. and. I think I, you know, when I read Understanding Comics, I, of course, that was a great and fabulous idea. But I also became very interested in the the gutter as a kind of black hole that mm. can consume meaning. It that sometimes jumping from one panel to the next is like leaping across a giant chasm, and we can fall down there. There's no there's no constant in terms of time between panels it could be any any space and any geographical or any, any yeah and i think also that because we're having to skip across this space every time we move from panel to panel it um it means there's always this kind of subliminal reminder that that this is a construction it's artifice it's uh it's ink on paper or it's pixels on the screen yeah you know it it it, it can actually it can make the illusion of being immersed in a story disintegrate, um, even if only for a second, and then we're back into it with the next panel. And uh, I, you know, I'm drawn to that. I guess I, you know, my relationship with comics all my life has been 
obsessive but also complicated and ambivalent at times. I grew up fantasizing about the comics that could exist mm. as much as mm-hmm. the ones that did exist because I, I was never like a big fanboy of of superhero comics or anything. I didn't get that excited about them. There were certain comics that absolutely obsessed me, like Tintin and um, Peanuts and uh, Edward Gorey's work and things like that. But I, but, but a lot of comics left me absolutely cold, and uh, I was obsessed with what comics could be, hmm. you know. And Hicksville was part, partly came out of that, um, but. You know, I've always, I've even when I was in my early twenties, I moved to England, and I was wanting to break into the comics industry there and in Europe, and um, quickly realised I'm just not really that kind of cartoonist. <laughs> I was never going to get a job drawing for 2018. Mm. Um, I I went through a, a kind of a period where I became phobic about comics. I couldn't go into a comic shop without feeling like I was having a panic attack. Even looking at a comic, especially Are you speaking figuratively. No, this is absolutely true. Hyperventilated. I, and oh yeah, I felt dizzy and <laughs> wow. and and would break out in a sweat and felt nauseous and I had to leave. Um, Forbidden Planet on Oxford Street in London, yeah. 1989. That's when I dis- first discovered the symptoms, um, and that lasted quite a long time. I ended up drawing drawing a comic about it. And the only way I could do it was by fooling myself into thinking I wasn't drawing a comic. And I, I, I wrote a, I wrote in my notebook, I wrote like a story about the experience. And then, um, but just in words. And then to draw it, I just bought like a cheap memo pad, a little notepad. And I was working in a bookstore at the time. And when I had a few minutes between customers, I'd just pull out a, a ballpoint pen, a biro, and I would doodle drawings that were sort of vaguely connected to the story mm. and then at the end I put it all together um, and I laid it out more like a children's picture book because mm. I was in a children's book shop so I was reading a lot of picture books uh, and I think that was that was just a way of fooling myself into thinking I wasn't doing a comic but I really was and, it, and it's a comic about the experience of becoming afraid of comics it's called The Last Fox Story um, and that's in Incomplete Works as well and, and so you know this was like 20, 25 years ago um, and all ever since then you know I've had these recurring bouts of just not being able to read comics or look mm. at them uh, and sometimes draw them and increasingly I think of those periods as my um, craving for silence and I in a way I think there's something really productive about it why why is a why is a, a, a prose story or, or a picture book somehow more accessible to your brain than a comic? I, I guess because comics felt like my native storytelling language. Mm. I was obsessed with comics from before I could read or write. My first words were apparently Donald Duck, which, you know, it's Carl Bach, so I had mm-hmm. taste even then. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I grew up reading comics. Above all else, that was... That was where I would go to get that special narrative kick. Hmm. You know, it was like my my sort of first art form. Um, but then later, it also became my vocation. 
you know, even struggled to, I, I'm not sure whether to call it a career. <laughs> a, I think you can a, call it a career at this point. It took a long saying, time, yeah. long time before I could earn a living from it. And that's always touch and go. But but definitely it was a vocation. Um, and once it did become a career, you know, there's huge pressure attached to that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, had kids and a mortgage and um, I didn't want to not earn any monies. And, and that's that's not easy when you're an alternative cartoonist. So... Uh, so all of that pressure kind of wraps itself around this art form. Um, I've met I've met musicians who worked as session musicians for a while, and then could not could not go into CD stores hmm. or listen to music. They'd go home and they'd put on television, or they would have silence. Um, I've met writers who can't walk into bookshops. Yeah, um, it's it's not you know it's not peculiar to comics it's it's just something that can happen to people when they're when the art form that they love becomes their career and 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 uh, attaches itself to all these other pressures it's uh, the way you've described it so far it sounds almost like this kind of abstract sense of dread but i'm you know is it the i i get this feeling you were just at at spx that's kind of a good example of that and you know i was and at Comic Con in July, which is sort of the ultimate example of <laughs> the, the feeling. It's a terrifying Comic Con. Yeah, well, there, there, there's, there's all sorts of, you know, obviously it's just sensory overload, and, and, you know, there's all of these kind of peripheral things happening at once, but then. Um, but then you walk there's there's just this sense when you, when, when you walk through Artist Alley and you see all of these. You know, very, obviously, varying levels of of, of talent and, and skills and all these different things. But when you see, you know, these clearly talented people who are not able to make a living or who are, you know, are sort of just like throwing their their work into the void. I mean, that 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 there's an overwhelming sense there. There's an overwhelming sense when you walk into a comic shop and, you know, there are eight million other titles to choose from. There are some really great works, you know. Um, not only from a commercial standpoint of why is anybody going to pick this up, but just from the standpoint of, you know, am am I ever going to make anything as great as Persepolis? Or am I, yeah. ever, you know, will I ever, um, or even anything as great as what Jack Kirby did, will I ever be able to make anything that lives up to my own expectations? Is that part of that dread? Yes, or? it is. Yeah, yeah. And I, and also, I mean, when you were describing Artist Sally, and I kind of imagined this, this um, camera view of it, which then pulls back from this, you know, rising up, yeah. showing just row upon row upon row of, of yeah. artists, yeah. hundreds and yeah. thousands, yeah. Of, and we're all, you know, trying to do it, and but there's so many of us, and um, I mean, you can't keep up now. Like I, I used to. I feel like when I was in my twenties, I kind of knew about almost every mm-hmm. interesting comic that was coming out. I bought most of them. Um, these days, you can't even know about them. There's yeah. just so much, and yeah. so much of it is so great. Um, but I, but I think um, that feeling that you have to do something remarkable or special, or or even just you know good enough, can be quite a pressure. Um, and I mean, you said before there's there's the, the, that that crippling feeling of it's got to be perfect yeah um i think that prevents a lot of people from finishing things it certainly prevented me from finishing various things over the years 
and I, you know, I really like. I, I, I was having difficult patch several years ago when I was first starting um, Sam Zabel and the Magic Pen, and then I came across this wonderful line in an issue of Finder, Carla Speed McNeil's mm-hmm. comic. And there's a scene where a brother and sister are talking, and the sister is trying to write. She desperately wants to write a story, and she's unable to. She's stuck and blocked, and she feels like she she's not good enough to do it. And finally, her brother, in exasperation, says, look, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. <laughs> and since then, that's been my motto, that I would rather do it and not do it well enough than fail to do it because I'm scared of not doing it perfectly and you know we're cartoonists we're not brain surgeons mm. if we screw up no one's going to die well, well you know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are a few caveats yes oh, <laughs> that's that's, as long as you're not true. in, uh, you know, France or Syria or, yeah, <laughs> or a few other you spots, can, you should be you can, okay. Yeah, you can draw the wrong thing and piss yeah. some people off. Um, that's a risk we have to take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, shouldn't be a risk we have to take, sure. but it is. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking of those, um, you know, those those inspirational posters you see on walls where it's just like, I'm. I feel like you know, reach for the stars or whatever, and a picture of an eagle or something like, along those lines. Um, you know, and and I've no, I've noticed, and, and you you did, you brought up during this interview that they're um, at you know most of your at the front of most of your books. There is there is a quote you had mentioned, the Kirby quote, and it's like a, what, like a Nina Hartley quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, there's there's two quotes at the beginning of Sam's Abel and the Magic Pen. One of them's from the poet Yeats. Yeah, Yeats. And, yeah. Uh, and the other one is from Nina Hartley, the porn performer yeah. and producer. And, and she's all, I mean, she's written and spoken very eloquently, too, yeah. about porn. In fact, that quote comes from a very interesting interview she gave. Um, but, yeah, and those two quotes, like, she says, desire has no morality. And Yeats says, in dreams begins responsibility and the reason I chose those two quotes is I felt like they're in direct opposition to each other Hmm. and yet I also feel like they're both true yeah and what I wanted to do with that book was explore the territory between them between those two quotes because I feel like both of them are on some level true um and uh and I didn't know the answer so I drew the book in order to Hmm. try and find an answer to to the because the central question of the book is, do we bear a moral responsibility for our fantasies? But you, you actually started with the two quotes? That was the... No, I, I found them halfway <laughs> through drawing it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of looking out. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, because, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting, and I think this sort of speaks to um, when, when you're taking on a really big project, the need to, to, to distill it into bits and pieces. Um, and it sounds like you know, I've I've certainly I've certainly read a great book and or seen a talk or seen a movie and felt um, inspired by it. You know, inspired to want to go out and create great art, but actually translating that. You know, actually finding a way to convert that energy into something is is a different question entirely. Um, are you are these quotes actually uh, inspirational to the degree that? You know, was the Carlos Weed McNeil quote inspirational to the degree that that actually drove you forward in creating the book? 
Well, that quote helped to free me from some of the chains I'd tied around myself. Mm. Um, I feel like when we when we're writing and drawing, if we are completely focused on the outcome, you know, I will produce a great book yeah. and everyone will love me and I'll be lionized and I'll be the next Kate Beaton or um, Chris Weir. You know, I mean, if, if that's what your focus is, then it's going to be very, very hard to finish the book. I'm sure Kate Beaton would be thrilled to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never be the next Kate Beaton. Um, yeah, I mean... Well, I, say, I mean, I, I just she's she's so hugely admired yeah. by so many people, and very rightly. Um, but I just, you know, I think what we need to do, what, certainly for me, what I need to do if I'm going to produce work is I need to enjoy the actual physical process of making it, yeah. and that needs to be what I'm focused on, not on, um, you know, the publishing outcome uh, or getting reviews or anything like that. It, it's it's the sheer visceral pleasure hmm. of making stuff up and sitting at my desk drawing, which honestly, drawing can be so pleasurable, but it can also be incredibly painful if if you're obsessively focused on doing a good drawing, you yeah. know, if, if you're, especially if you're trying to recreate what's in your head on the paper, because that is never going to happen. Um, the best you can hope for is a successful collaboration between your mind, your hand, the yeah. paper, and the pen, because all of those parts of the equation have something to say about it. You know, this and you have to learn that it's a collaboration, not just try and force what's in your head onto the paper and treat your hand as if it's just the conduit. Because um, drawing's so physical, and uh, it's done by our body, not just yeah. our minds. And comics are particularly repetitious. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's tough. There's all sorts of things I find very difficult. But I feel like I've spent a lot of the last 20 years particularly really making peace with the way I write and draw um, because there are things about that I, I can't change. Sure, there are and limitations, I, certainly. Yeah, I have limitations. And just the way a singer has to learn to use their voice, mm. you know, and you can train it and you can make it stronger and you can extend its range but you're never going to have someone else's voice. It's always going to be your <coughs> your larynx and your lungs and your throat, and you have to learn to work that and work with it and not fight it. It's it, it, it's funny that we were talking about quotes because this brings to mind two things that um, just keep reoccurring, and, and the listeners are going to roll their eyes right now because these are um, two ideas that just I keep coming back to time and time again and, and have particularly of late, and one of them is relates back directly to Chris Ware and is something that has always stuck out in my mind um, in one of the um, those two beautiful sketchbook collections that he released there's uh, a drawing and a note about um, him basically saying you know I I know that I'm never going to be as great of an artist as Gary Panter and, and, and you know and that's it's it's hilarious from the standpoint of like everybody who's reading this book knows what a brilliant artist Chris Ware is and, yeah, and knows how yeah. much time he pours into those pages and the only thing that he seems to want out of the world is the ability to do things effortlessly the other the other thing that that I keep coming back to over and over again and and um and I, I just had Jaime Hernandez on the show and I think this actually relates really well to the magic pen book um and it's something that I never thought, as somebody who isn't um, a visual artist, is something I hadn't really thought about before. But once he said it, 
I think about it all the time now. Um, he was talking about uh, drawing cars and, and, and fitting elements into stories because it's something that you want to draw over and over again. You pick those things. And for him, uh, and this was a came up in the conversation that uh, will be airing on the show soon, that um, you know, for him, clearly one of the things that he draws, enjoys drawing are women, you know, and it comes yeah. across, and, and and that's part of the reason why, and and you know, and and he's certainly imbued them with, um, you know, their own their own power, and they're not subjugated and all those things, but like well, he clearly he, he draws them as human beings, yeah, you know, but but he clearly takes pleasure, and and in this yeah. book, I mean, there are scenes on Mars where there are hundreds of naked women, yeah, yeah, green ones, but. green ones, <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I like drawing women too. <laughs> <laughs> That's very clear. I, I, I like women. You know, I'm married to one. Yeah, <laughs> she's amazing. But I, it's, um, I, I think there's something to be said for um, for drawing stories that allow you to pursue your own kind of um, visual obsessions. Yeah, you know, whether it's drawing women or drawing men or uh, or animals, or dinosaurs, or cars, dinosaurs, yeah, or, or whatever, um, because those obsessions are often, um, you know, they're, they're things that that really resonate in your brain, and often you don't know why, but um, but if you explore it, that's often very fertile territory. Um, but in, in in me and Magic Pen, um, it's it's a book that's full of erotic scenes and it's it's partly um, you know it's partly that I was drawn to the idea of exploring wish fulfillment fantasy and in particular erotic wish fulfillment fantasy but I had issues about that <laughs> you know I had hang ups about it and I was concerned about the kind of ethics of um, the way in which gender and sexuality are presented and so on. Subjugation fantasies. And yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and I, I, so I was using the book partly to try and work through some of those questions while also allowing myself to indulge the pleasure of <laughs> doing it. And, and I actually think that the latter is really important because I don't think you can have an honest conversation about fantasy and the ethics and morality of fantasy without allowing the pleasure of it to have a clear voice in the conversation because it, it it's a, that is a valid thing to say hmm. about a piece of art is that it's pleasurable and if it's pleasurable even only in the most kind of supposedly base um, puerile way that is a genuine valid pleasure and I think that needs to be taken into account as part of the conversation you know, it, it, you know. As, I mean, I've, I've obviously I've read read your stuff before, and and when I you know picked up the book, the first thing you see, you flip it over, you look at the quotes on the back, and there's an Alison Bechdel quote on the back, and I just remember when I was first reading this book, and I'm, you know, and and before you really I think get into those ideas, there's these there's just all of the naked women, and I was just kept wondering to myself, <laughs> how is he going to how is he going to pull this one out? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know, surely, surely those must be the, the, the those thoughts. You know, the, the conversations that that the important conversations that people like Alison Bechdel are having. You know, the 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 now kind of cliche, but you know, still important idea of the Bechdel test, things like that. Um, you know, they 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 have to at some point. 
play a role in the story that you're creating. I mean, you don't you don't want things to get too out of hand. You can't. I don't know. I mean, can, is a do, can you indulge that fantasy too much? Um, you know, I, I almost wish I'd made the book even filthier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You know, you knew you were going to have some regrets in life. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll have to do, you know, my yeah. next book. Well, actually, my next book won't be filthy at all, but but I have got another story I'm working on that's really dirty. But um, I, there, there is a giant hentai scene in one point. There's a lot of tentacles. Yeah. There's like, there's, <laughs> took me like five days to draw that page, which is just this huge image. Uh, th- there's a lot of tentacles. Anyway... Um, <laughs> I don't want to give any spoilers here, um, but I, yeah, I, um, I mean, I was drawing it to try and find out whether there was an answer to that question. I yeah. didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go into it with a set of guidelines for myself. And in fact, I did draw a scene which was really full on, and then just didn't. I didn't feel entirely happy with it, and I, I kind of. Redrew it, redrew it, and dialed it back a little. Um, and I was kind of operating on instinct at that point. I mean, I, I don't know whether that was the right call or not. Mm. But um, I kind of wanted the focus of the scene to be on something else. Um, but as I say, there's other places where I kind of wish I'd gone further. I mean, it's a, when when I'm doing a book. I don't know if it's like this for everyone, but when I'm doing a book, it's not like I'm going from A to B and my my purpose is to convey to the reader a specific thing that I, you know, a message. I don't, mm. I don't have like something I'm trying to state to the reader in a way that they understand. Mm. Uh, instead, for me, it's more like um, a journey of exploration. So I'm like this explorer and I have a vague sense that there's some unknown territory out there that that I haven't seen before, but I don't have a clear map. Um, my compass is pretty faulty, and I'm just going to have to set off, you know, and and see where it takes me. And as I go, I map it. I map that territory for myself. And at the end of the process, other people can come along and pick up that map mm. and see where it takes them, you know. And it might lead them to quite a different place. But you you hold yourself off when you're working on a, a, a book like this when it, you know, obviously outside of sort of the DC stuff and the the stuff you've wor- worked with on other publishers but when you're kind of, in a sense, making something purely for yourself, you're kind of your only editor and critic? Um, mostly. I mean, I was putting this online as I went mm. page by page yeah. and that meant that I was getting feedback as, as, I, as I was going and mostly the effect of the feedback was just that it inspired me to continue um, but also I, I started to get a sense of what people were really enjoying about it. Mm. And, um, you know, I, can't, I really can't say that it changed anything I did. Um, the thing I most enjoyed was that people would sometimes see me at a party and they'd say, oh, I just read your latest page and I think I've worked out exactly what's going on and I know where this is going. And then they'd tell me this whole theory and I'd just stand there silently grinning to myself mm-hmm. thinking they are so wrong. <laughs> I loved that. That was the most satisfying thing. But no, I, I mean, this was a particularly self-indulgent book. I really, yeah. um, I was ultimately doing this for myself. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it, it's important to have 
those people to get out of your head. Because I was I was going to ask actually ask you a question about self indulgence because you know it's it's very clearly you know you, you working out these things on paper. And do do you do you risk being inside of your own head too much that you that, that you potentially alienate everyone who isn't you? Maybe. <laughs> so be it. Yeah. You know, I, Different stories are different. You know, some some stories I'm I'm doing, and I, the reader is much more in my head. I'm thinking much more about mm-hmm. how this will read to people. But um, but sometimes I just need to to ignore everyone else yeah. and do what I need to, to do for my own sake. And and if that produces a book that people respond to, that's great. And if not, then never mind. You know, it's again, it comes back to for me the the most important thing now is. Um, is the process of creation, yeah, and and enjoying that and dedicating myself to it with as much kind of honesty and and um, commitment and hard work as I can, and uh, I mean I you know I do even you know during the magic pen of course I'm I'm frequently thinking about is this comprehensible? Are people sure. going to be able to work out what's happening sure. here? And um, and uh, and I, I do, I do think about like the rhythm of it, the, the mm-hmm. structure of it, in a way that's going to build and then the, the impact that will have on people. There's nothing more satisfying to me than than when someone tells me, "Oh, you know, I, your book made me cry." <laughs> Sounds terrible. It's like I live off my readers' tears. Yeah, you know? but it, but it, it's satisfying because it's such a clear indication that they have that I've managed to make them respond at a visceral level, which I, I find really satisfying. And I mean, I'd be just as just as delighted, really, to hear that it really turned them on, because, again, it's a really powerful visceral reaction. Um, and um, that's that's great. I love that. Yeah, I get that a lot. People are always crying at my books. They're always Sorry, arousing guys. crying. <laughs> uh, th- 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 this gets back to that, the idea of... of Anadonia, um, you know, it's just uh, was something I was thinking about a lot last year for for personal reasons, and and Are you was okay, actually, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> I'm okay now, which is you know, but 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 this was actually coincidentally part of the reason why um, when I, I, the book was first sent to me, I was unable to read it. Right. Um, and I, I, I apologize. <laughs> no, but just uh, just sort of unable to even commit myself to like sitting down and just reading a book, you know, mm. regardless of of what how much it paralleled my own state of mind um no i've totally been there yeah yeah and 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 there's a sense in the beginning of the book because you know anadonia this 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 idea not idea but you know this very real feeling of not being able to enjoy art and 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 create art um or anything. Or anything. You know, yeah, life. or, you yeah. know, do anything beyond getting up in the morning, and sometimes even that can yeah. be tough. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's, this, uh, there's this sense of urgency at the beginning of the book of um, sort of creation for creation's sake, creation for the sake of um, not not doing anything, creation for the sake of filling in that blank space, and yeah. creation for the sake of, of, of at least working on something yeah. and not being in that sort of you know that that no man's land in between books there's this kind of urgency at the yeah. beginning and 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 that's that's what that's what really launches into the story is is 
finding a way to overcome that. Well, the, the opening sequence has Sam Zabel, the cartoonist. He's he's staring at a blank page with his hand hovering over it, unable to draw. And that blank page at the beginning of the book is like a kind of huge, forbidding, white wall of ice that, that he can't break through or climb or it's it's too terrifying um, and actually the book ends with a blank page mm. as well and the hand hovering over the page but it's but it's now a different page yeah. you know now it's it's a wide open field of possibility mm. that's inviting him in um, and the only thing that's changed is his state of mind like it's still the same blank piece of paper but He's he's um, he's no longer in that that space, you know. He's found his way back, um, and partly he's kind of free. And I, I, you know, I'm trying to avoid spoilers here, but there's there's certain choices he makes, certain things that happen which change his perspective on it all. Um, but it's not just it's not just our relationship with art either. I mean, um, when I was in that space. Uh, I, I do remember having the conversation that Sam has with his wife, where his, which, which is very early on in the book, where she says, "Are you are you depressed because you can't draw, or are you unable to work because you're depressed?" Yeah. And he says, "I I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. don't know anymore." And, and does it matter? <laughs> yeah, and I I could never untangle that oh. for myself. I I um I didn't know they were so tied up, and it's so circular and it's so self defeating, you know. It's like you, you, when you're depressed and you can't get out of bed, but not getting out of bed makes you even more depressed. And and who knows where it starts? It's this. There's a um, there's a Connor Oberst song where he has a line about um, I can't remember what the trouble was that started all of this. Uh, the reasons have all gone away, but the feelings never did. And I kind of know that feeling. Mm. I recognise that. Yeah, it's um, you don't and 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 you don't want to. I mean, it's 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 dangerous to tie your emotional well being to work to something. Yeah, very like that. Yeah. But um, for a lot of people, myself included, it's 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 seemingly impossible not to. Have you gotten better? Yeah, I, I mean, have. you've got a family, and maybe yeah. that helps. And and there's other things to focus on. Yeah, it does. Look, I remember when my um, when my first son was uh, like two years old, and I was sitting at my drawing board and I heard this noise and I thought, what is that? And I turned around and my, my son was sitting on the floor with like a really old, rare underground comic in his hands just happily tearing it to shreds <laughs> in that way that babies do. And, um, you know, I, I know that three years earlier, if someone had been tearing up that comic, mm. I'd have absolutely freaked. You yeah. know? But I just remember it was like this little switch went in my head and I thought oh well <laughs> it's like suddenly my priorities were different yeah know? and uh, having said that you know being a parent can also be one of the hardest things in the world and um, uh, Scott McLeod said to me over the weekend he said you know there's there's a kind of fear there's a kind of fear that only ex- only parents understand mm. and I know exactly what he means and there's there's also a kind of guilt that only parents understand and the reality is no parent can escape those two things. You are always going to come out of it feeling terrified 
some of the time and feeling guilty some of the time. This 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 gets back to that idea of there are much bigger things to worry or not worry about than yeah. I mean, it's comics. I mean, yeah. Jesus. I, I, you know, look, I, I've dedicated my life to, to comics and art. Uh, it's, it's, for a long time, it was like my, my faith, my religion. It kept me going. And, and as I said before, it was my vocation. I, yeah. I dedicated myself to it. And on one level, I still am. But, but I also understand that, um, that these are just pieces of paper or even just pixels on the screen, which is even less tangible. And eventually it's all going to be dust, you know? I mean, when I was at my most depressed, when I was most unhappy, mm-hmm. um, I found that the most comforting thing I could think was one day the entire universe will cease to exist. See? <laughs> I just found that so... Because it was a liberation. It yeah. was like, okay, so all these things that I'm so tied up about, all these things I'm so upset about or stressed about, no one's going to remember this. You know, this is this will all be gone. And there, then, we'll, then we're back to silence. There are two very different ways to approach that idea <laughs> yeah. of everything you do not making any difference in the end and 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 it 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 it's either the most liberating or the most depressing idea yeah all rolled into one but to me it's liberating and i think it's because um what that means to me is that all that really 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 matters to me is that in this life in this life now I can experience you know the love of my kids I can I can walk outside and feel the wind and and look at the the waves I mean we live by the beach so I do that a lot (laughs) and and but but now you know I'm only experiencing that now eventually it's going to be gone I'm going to die eventually my kids will cease to exist you know everything that we know will cease to exist and that's okay, because right now, right now, that's what's there. And and I guess that's how I approach my art now too, is that I'm doing my art so that right now I can be doing it. And when people respond to it, that's incredibly um, gratifying now, you know? it's But it doesn't matter that in... 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, you know, maybe no one will remember my work. That's okay. That's that's all right. It's it's just what I'm doing with my mm-hmm. life. In, in a sense, may, maybe, you know, getting back to... Um, this has got very deep. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, in, in a sense, maybe getting back to mini comics and, and zines is um, more in line with that, of, of these things that are really ethereal. You know, you're making a book and it, and it, and it's released by... Fanographics. I mean, that's at least got some life to it. But <clears throat> the idea of sending something out into the world and <clears throat> it just lives that life—that that's sure. potentially more liberating. Well, you know, the literary world and the art world and so on—it it has such a, a kind of mythology around um, these sort of personality cults, and they, it's all about yeah. you know this is a great artist, and we all have to respect them, and then we have to conserve it and preserve it. Yeah. And I, mean, I kind of love that on one level. I, I was at the Library of Congress 
a few days ago and they have a wonderful, wonderful comics archive and I'm so, I, I love what the librarians do preserving it but there's also a little part of me that just, it's like, you know, if it just rots, that's fine. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, I think... Or if your basement floods and you yeah, all your comics. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, or if there's a terrible fire and, you know. I, for a while I had, um, I had a photograph of a comics burning from 1949 where kids were encouraged to bring their comics and burn them. But ultimately, that's right, I remember... Uh, several years ago when I was kind of depressed and I was um, trying to struggling to, to work on the magic pen and I went to a comics convention in Auckland and uh, you know it's, it's, it was a comics convention so it's loud and it's commercial and it, most of it wasn't comics anyway it was TV mm-hmm. stars and stuff um, but on the way to that comics convention there was I was delayed and the reason I was delayed is that a local teenager was killed on the road um, in a motorbike accident and so all the cars had to stop and there was nothing we could do and it was awful and you know we live in a fairly small community so we knew we didn't know who he was but we knew that we would know people who were close to him so I got to this comics convention and I was feeling pretty awful you know I felt pretty and and the comics convention just felt like an assault on my senses. It was like, what is this even for? I could no longer kind of understand what what we were doing all this for. And then I I took a lunch break and I reached into my bag and pulled out an issue of King Cat by John Porcelino, which I had received and I I read it and I remember thinking that's what it's for. You know? Yeah. There was something about what John was doing that was very simple and then driving home driving home on the intersection where the accident had happened there was a an old billboard and someone had spray painted across the billboard R.I.P. Sam and that was the boy who died so one of his friends had just got a spray can and they'd just done this and to me that that billboard was that was the that was what art was for you know that that was the most powerful piece of art I'd seen all day. With John John Porcelino's comic was possibly up there with that. Yeah. You know because John's comic was so honest and um, direct, and he was doing it because he had to do it, and it wasn't. You know, it was was so different to so many of the comics that I was seeing that day. So I just, that was, to me, that was a reminder. You know, it's like, I don't want to be doing this just to make myself feel important or to show to the world that I was clever or skilled or something, because God knows I'm not half as bloody clever or skilled as I'd like to be and never will be. Um, I just want to do this because I need to do this. I mean, it's still, the process is still pleasurable? Is it, I mean, it must be mm. more pleasurable now. It's that much the more pleasurable now. Look, I honestly, the last... You know, drawing the magic pen, I enjoyed drawing that comic more than I've ever enjoyed mm. drawing anything in my life. It's It was deeply pleasurable, and it, and partly that's because I just, I stopped fighting it. I stopped um, torturing myself with yeah. it. There's a, there's a Ben Jones comic, um, B-day, BJ and the Dogs, and... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a scene in that where um, the the character is talking about the true master of art, 
and he's he's saying you know the the noob basically uh, often kind of beats themselves up with their art, but the true master knows that art shouldn't hurt anyone, including themselves. And I, I really connected with that because we do we kind of fetishize the idea that making great art has to be really painful and we yeah. torture ourselves over it and um, I no longer really believe that it can be painful and sometimes I, I force myself to go places that are really uncomfortable um, but that's because I want to understand I need to understand mm -hmm. whatever it is I'm pursuing with this story and I can't get there without going to places that are scary and that happened with the magic pen a number of times. Yes, I was worried about. You know, I did worry about how people would react to some of it. But too bad. You know, and, and and part of making art less painful is making not making art less painful. If that makes any sense, is is taking some yeah. of the pressure off of the block. And yes, the time I the agree. Period. And then when you're doing it, you're doing it because you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And there's no other reason to make comics than wanting to make comics. Because if you, I mean, God knows, it's not the world's easiest way to make a living, yeah. right? So. Um, so do it because you want to do it and you're choosing to do it and you enjoy doing it and that to me is pretty much the only reason to make comics there you go there's Dylan Horex I uh, hope you enjoyed that one half as much as I did that was a lot of fun he was in town on tour uh, promoting his, uh, his his newish newish book came out in uh, in January of this year Sam Zabel and the Magic Pen uh, he was touring all, all over the place so I'm glad uh, glad we had time to sit down and do that he came down to uh, to my office in, uh, in, in lower Manhattan um, it was fun we went, went for a little walk afterwards showed him the uh, from the Statue of Liberty and all of the uh, exciting things down in, in the financial district. Uh, thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to, uh, to Jack at Fanographics for setting up that conversation. As I, uh, as I said before, you can check out his new book, Sam Zabel and the Magic Pen on Fana right now. Uh, really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, just talking about the nature of creativity and, and, and depression and, you know, some, some things that uh, I've been thinking about, you know, a little bit in, in the past uh, the past year or so. So I uh, hope you like that. Uh, thanks to him. Thanks to Brian, as always, for editing the show together. Uh, thanks to, who else? Everybody at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. Uh, if you like this show, many other fine shows to check out over at iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, you should take the opportunity to, to rate this program. Uh, thanks to everybody who's rated us recently. We can always use uh, more positive Use more positive feedback. If you have more positive feedback that you don't want to express in a review, you can send us an email. It's rylcast at gmail.com. Uh, that is also kind of sort of the address of our Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. Uh, I've got a Facebook thing that you can go over and, and you can like us over there. Um, find out about uh, upcoming shows. Lots and lots of them. Uh, actually, Comics Arts Brooklyn was this weekend. So um, hope you like... Hope you like interviews with cartoonists because I got a whole bunch more coming at you and we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.A.Y.L. Mm -hmm.